0: Creeds and criticism meet. You're listening to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Allison. And today we are continuing our quarantine and answer our Q&A session. Uh, Last time, we had a few questions from Austin and Kendra that we decided to answer. Uh, They submitted to us via the uh, hashtag split frame Q&A. And so this is part two, we're recording now. Uh, Nolan has finally fallen sort of asleep on the couch with us. And so we wanted to get a few more uh, questions answered and looked at. So uh, Austin asks, uh, why is Junia so important to our understanding of women in the early church? Why is Junia so important? That is, the Apostle Junia mentioned in Romans sixteen seven. Why is she so important to our understanding of women in the early church?
1: Oh, you're asking me? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I mean, if you, I think, just to be very blunt, um, if you have a woman occupying the highest level of authority, then there really shouldn't be any barring for women as a gender period
0: yeah no and and it's what's important is that if junia is who she says or paul says she is then we have one of the earliest strata of women or rather the earliest stratum of christianity is occupied by a woman by a woman
1: yeah and really she's more of a um obstacle for certain people in our culture um yeah that are more complementarian um she's really problematic i think to their own paradigm um Mm -hmm and especially you know there's just different ways to people try to i think get around it sometimes right um like going for oh apostle in terms of messenger yeah you know stuff like that um and paul used it in more of a official capacity and so that's really what's under
0: well the twice he, the two times he uses it in romans elsewhere it's to his own apostolic commission by god so I mean, the closest referent we have is Paul's own language or self-designation. Of, yeah. You know, a slave of Christ and all this stuff. So it's, you know, we wouldn't put it this way. We wouldn't, we wouldn't ask this question if it were two men.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's one of those yeah. things
0: where it shows a level of hermeneutical bias to where we can't just go, oh, let's treat women as men. Let's just, you know, treat all things being equal here. But for some reason, Junia becomes the one who has to bear the brunt of our unbridled critical hermeneutical, like suspicious kind of mentality. When we wouldn't apply that to Paul's. do we ever, you know, go well? Paul was Paul. How was Paul well known to the apostles? How was Andronicus well known I to think, the apostles? We we never go that route. I
1: think what we have is attempts at harmonization with a current worldview. I think, I think um, people that are still, I guess, having this kind of gender hierarchy view, often, and I'm not talking about everyone, but people that really seem to dodge the question of Junia in particular. Mm -hmm. I think they're holding their view for other reasons. And so their way of approaching it is oftentimes a lot more, um, what can I believe versus what best explains this particular text? And I think sometimes, and this goes for all of us, you know, egalitarians included, um, sometimes we need to be okay with not being able to explain and harmonize everything, So harmonization, um, I'm not saying it never has a place, but really I think sometimes it's better to live with ambiguity and say, yeah, you know, this piece does not fit with my worldview. Um, I hold my worldview for these other reasons, Mm -hmm. um, but this piece doesn't fit. And just sometimes to be okay with that for a while, um, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily overturn everything just because one piece doesn't fit. But it does mean you should be honest about it and be able to live with the tension for a little while at least. Because um, you never know. Maybe maybe there's a third option you haven't considered. And I hmm. think it's better to sit with it for a bit. There we go.
0: Yeah. And, and in addition to that, I think you have um, the fact that you have modern attempts to basically say, um, well, apostle is, we'll water down apostle. Or we'll say something like, oh, we'll make up new grammatical rules to say, oh, maybe she isn't. And I think a better way of kind of just doing theology and doing all of this is to basically allow the text to challenge us and not basically play the role of, well, God and say, you know, basically, oh, we can, uh, we can create stuff. We can do this with the text. We can do this. No, let the text challenge your conceptions of what you believe to be true.
1: Yeah, I don't think people are consciously... Not doing that. I know. I'm I don't. Put that I way. don't think
0: it's a conscious thing, but I do think there is a sense in which we come to a certain text with a preconceived notion of how other texts work, and go, "Well, this text must be interpreted in any other way possible."
1: Well, here, here's the rub: and- we all like, and we all approach the text, you know, from our very particular vantage point, our yes. own cultures, our own—I'd um, say—narratives, um, and that's inescapable. And so we fit the pieces of what we hear other people say, um, including, you know, scriptural authors and, and what God says into this paradigm. And we try to understand it from where we're actually at. So I think some of that's inescapable. Um, the question is though, whether or not uh, in doing, when we're doing that, are we doing it in such a way that, um, ignores what's what another person or what the tech stack is actually trying to communicate hmm. um so and, and that's something to be careful about and here's the thing like none of us are perfect and i mean we miss things all the time nick and i
0: included so uh, once in a while <laughs> so uh next question from rob dixon a personal friend of both of ours uh he asks us i'd love to hear your hopes and dreams regarding raising your little one to embrace an egalitarian view if you're up for sharing that I'm totally up for sharing that. Yeah. Um, One uh, hope is that he, of course, would uh, embrace the the biblical view of egalitarianism, but that it would be something to where um, it would just come naturally to him. So, for example, um, I got to sit on Sunday morning uh, and watch a church service uh, on YouTube that our church was doing, and my pastor, she was preaching and all this sort of stuff, and I got to sit there and just be like, look, it's pastor. Like it's pastor, it's, it's pastor preaching, you know, obviously he, you know, his, his brain, he's not going to remember any of it, mm-hmm. but I think part of it is something I, I really look forward to kind of cultivating in him a, a respect for women, uh, kind of a, a cooperationist view with women and all that sort of stuff. And basically by surrounding him by, with, uh, with strong women, I mean, I'm surrounded by strong women, you know, and I think I just look, I just long look forward to him basically coming to. The realization that you know women can serve in the church and are barred on the basis of being women, and stuff like that. And I don't know. I just I look forward to him being surrounded by strong women and watching him engage with that.
1: Well, and here's here's the other interesting piece to that. Um, developmentally, he's less likely to take a, um, I would say more sexist and um, misogynistic outlook if he has a strong male figure in his life. Hmm. Um, so if he has a dad, <laughs> Nick's Nick's. Um, Puffing his chest and stretching right now. Uh-huh. Um, but okay. if he has a dad who's present and who um, is going to be involved with him and yeah. isn't distant, then he's more likely to have security within himself and his own you know, growth as a, as a, a boy and a man mm-hmm. um, because of that. And he's not going to have this kind of infantile um, need to define himself in opposition to the opposite gender all the time. Yeah. Um, And, you know, again, some of that's developmental and, yeah. Um, I would say, too, I think it'd be, I think the trick, and this is with raising, you know, children, period, is to cultivate, help cultivate character Hmm. and really get him to have a good relationship with God and, you know, other people and to be equipped to make the hard decisions that life throws his way. Yeah. Because, um, you know, those times will come. We all have to make choices in moments of crisis or, mm-hmm. you know, even in the little things. And, you know, it's it's one thing. It's I think a lot of Christian culture is good at teaching you to be polite, mm-hmm. um, say all the Christianese, um, to yep. be, quote, nice um, to people. But at the end of the day, um, are we able to do what Jesus called us to do? And, you know, become like, you know, the people around us who are marginalized. Are we able to um, give up everything, you know, pick up, you know, our crosses yeah. and follow Jesus, you know, ultimately give give up everything. Are we able to do that? And I think it's going to be interesting, you know, process of cult- trying to cultivate that point of character within him hmm. and that point of this basis of security that he can find in Christ growing yeah. up and keep directing him that way. Um but at the end of the day it's going to be him who's he's going to have to make those those choices himself.
0: Yeah, and I I I don't know. I, I look forward to him worshiping at a church where, you know, women worship leaders are singing and him learning from uh, you know, child uh children's pastors and senior pastors who are women who just kind of lead and just lead with men and stuff and him just being, you know, surrounded by it. And I I, I don't know, I just I look forward to watching him just kind of grow into that. Uh that's my my hope is that he would he would really just thrive in that personally.
1: And people of other um ethnicities and people mm-hmm. that look different than he is and um who uh speak different languages, um who have different cultures um just surrounding him. Oh, he's waking up. Um <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Just Doing that, reading him books with heroes that are of all kinds, Mm -hmm. and I think that will go a long way, you know.
0: I think so. All right, so another question. Uh, Barring the typical SBC or fundamentalist seminary, uh, how is egalitarianism seen in the broader world of New Testament theology? It's a good question. Um, Depends on uh, country, too, actually. Right. Uh, I, I would say in your average evangelical seminary... Um, so outside of the SBC or PCA, maybe. Well,
1: evangelical oh. is a broader term, too. And again, people, there's more than American evangelicalism.
0: Right. But this is Southern Baptist, so it's, it's you know, a typical SBC slash fundamentalist seminary.
1: But barring.
0: Yeah.
1: How is egalitarianism seen in the broader world of
0: New Testament theology? Okay, well, American evangelical seminaries, then. Okay, because I mean I'm thinking too. Like NT Wright came on, right? No, we've got you know. But starting with that, we can move to the United Kingdom and then say to Australia. Yeah, or, or yeah. Something so like that. part of it is like how broad are we going? Like yeah, yeah. Um, I would say in Amer- American evangelicalism broadly broadly conceived. Um, I mean Wheaton College has egalitarians. Denver Seminary has egalitarians. Baylor. Gordon Conwell has uh, egalitarians. Uh, they don't take a, a Beeson Divinity School um, has egalitarians, and uh, there's a difference between a place that is. Uh, avowedly egalitarian, like say Fuller or Northern or Truett Baylor, um, and places that basically are we, don't hire, we don't hire or not hire you based on your view of women in ministry, which means that even in places that may have been hardcore complementarian in the past, that sort of thing has gone away. And so egalitarianism, even in more conservative evangelical circles, has become an option for a person to teach if she or he wants to be involved in the seminary level. Um,
1: I'd say a lot of scholars are egalitarian, frankly. Um, That's an inroad that uh, Christians for Biblical Equality really broke into. Um, You can... I I don't know. I would look up on their website. Um, They have a huge network of biblical scholars that are are with them, essentially, and have spoken at their conferences. And um, I would say on the scholarly level, it's pretty wide. Um, And then... Again, like, you've got Around the World and, I don't know, it's just, it's a bigger thing. And it's a broad category, too. Yeah, Let's I mean, you've got way.
0: Michael Byrd, you've got, you know, N.T. Wright, you have, you know, F.F. F. Bruce from back in the day. You've got just, you're, there's so many egalitarian New Testament scholars, like Ben Witherington, Philip Payne, like, just, you know, it's, I mean complementarianism, I think, outside of, say, as as the FBC or fundamentalist kind of circles, is kind of the exegetical conclusion. It's kind of like the new perspective. Most people are kind of arrived there just exegetically, and it's not something they really fight over. And so, like Richard Bauckham, and, oh, bless you, bud. Oh, he's sneezing. Um, I, I think, by and large...
1: I mean, ETS is still, I would say, dominantly... Um, complementarian, Um, although it seems like there's some major shifts happening over there. Yeah. Um, So it's, I don't know, I would say um, it's becoming, at this stage, less of a thing, Um, but before it was a kind of foregone conclusion.
0: Yeah. But,
1: I don't know, it it wasn't always that way historically, and it looks like
0: we're swinging the other way again, so. Yeah, it, it looks like, I mean, ETS is starting to change a bit, and I mean, um, so yeah, we're look We're seeing. Uh, I mean, at Institute for Biblical Research, for example, or a CATA, or other you know kind of uh, evangelical-ish organizations. Egalitarianism is is kind of almost run of the mill kind of thing. So yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, so it's it's one of those things where I think complementarianism it's it, is itself the outside position. Um, it is now, it yeah. is now, yeah, and it
1: wasn't always. So you know, hooray. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: All right. So, next question: uh, Are conversations with staunch complementarians worth the effort, or are they a waste of time? What do
1: you uh, think? worth the effort. It depends on the person. Um, I think it's not about how strongly the view is held, um, as much as the character and readiness of the person you're speaking to, mm-hmm. um, and whether or not there's other people listening. Um, so if um someone I don't know. I, you have to just use your judgment. I mean, if they're just like shooting bizarre, like preset phrases at you over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, then, you know, probably they're just, you know, talking to quote one of those people and you're one of those people. Yeah. And they're just there to teach you everything. And, you know, there's not much of a conversation that could be had. But yeah. I think mostly, most of the time, yeah, I would say, yeah, it's
0: worth it. Yeah, I, I think generally it's worth it. For me, it would depend on um, how educated this person is but how they portray themselves. So for example, if someone believes what they believe so strongly, but they've never read a single book on the subject and just listened to a sermon by their pastor and they're kind of throwing their weight around, I'm kind of like, okay, this, there's so much that needs to happen in this conversation that'll take so long to unpack that at that point, it's not a matter of it being a waste of time. It's just, I don't have the time or, or the energy to do that. And it usually depends, as Allison said, is the person demonstrating, um, a, a willingness to actually have a dialogue on this or as she said, am I, am I the person they're out to refute?
1: Yeah, it depends. I mean, some people just want a monologue too. And I'm like, all right, go monologue. I mean, I had someone like, um, tell me, um, in, I, 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 want to be careful of saying it, not so much detail, but saying how wrong Philip Payne was about this and that. And you know what a horrible scholar he was. And I'm like, Oh, you know, have you read his stuff? They they just wrote read his intro to his book, mm-hmm. and I was just like, "Um, you read the intro, yeah? Maybe, maybe read the rest. You might be surprised. You know, that's I mean, that's all I was willing to say at that point." Um, and then they went into monologue some more on whatever it was that they were doing, and they had some bizarre understanding about what egalitarianism was. In the first place, mm-hmm. um, and claim to be a half egalitarian it's a very bizarre conversation. But yeah, let's just say like there was no talking to them; they just were stuck on their view, and so I just kind of let them go. I mean, I just like I don't know. At the end of the day, you don't have to like quote convert everyone, and everyone's in a different place. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, and, and for me, it's it's usually um, is this person actually interested in having a genuine back and forth
1: yeah are you gonna talk to this person or are they to be essentially talking to themselves
0: and there's also the issue too at least for me the fir- one of the first things i assess is does this person has this person demonstrated that they're open-minded um because that usually for me is i'm not interested in arguing with a brick wall and c- because i know for a fact when i p- present myself as a brick wall you know i would never change my mind on this view then everyone kind of goes like, well, this is a waste of time because there's no point of having. That's why debates, you know, I think in some instances are a waste of time because you have two people that basically will not change their mind coming to basically punch each other in the face. And for me, I, I can think
1: air a little different on this. Well, by the and, way, <laughs> and I'm not saying all
0: debates. I actually I like a good presentation of the facts from certain perspectives. Like I have no problem with that. Um, in fact, I enjoy it. I actually me, like people that are
1: a lot more stuck. Well, honestly. for me,
0: it's, I, I prefer a dialogical approach. I want to see True. actual give and take. I want to see, oh, no, that's a good point. You know, I want to think about that, you know, um, and stuff like that. And, I mean, I mean, a genuine I want to think about it, not like, oh, I'm paying lip service to make you feel yeah. a
1: certain way. I don't know. I don't mind so much people that are very blunt and are just kind of extremely stuck in the I don't mind, actually. Um, for me, um, I actually kind of get energized by some of those, like, sharp, like, back and forths. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I for me, it's just I don't want to get into this, like, loop where someone's being overtly, like, illogical and belligerent and they're just going to time suck everything for me. Um, but being extremely direct and opinionated doesn't really bother me, even if they, like you know, may never want to change. I don't know personally, it maybe it's just a personality difference
0: between us. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I have no problem with direct someone saying, no, I think you're wrong for this reason. but like, Okay. Now we can have, a, that's still to me, dialogical. Um, I like to be very direct and assertive too. So um, it just depends. Well, I'm willing to dish it out. Like if someone says um, something, I'm like, no, you're this, this and this and have, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, I, I think, I think general, I don't, I think generally they are, are worth the effort. Um, are they worth the energy? That just depends on the person but yeah. by and large, I'm willing to have a conversation with pretty much everyone. Um, and so I think, yeah, that that's kind of how I see it. And so the, oh, is he crying? Oh, is he? Okay, he's good. He's just stretching and making grunty noises. All right, so final question. Uh, and I think this is the only complimentary question we got. So thank you to you. If Paul's talking about women only teaching in 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 inappropriate ways that is probably he has one Timothy two twelve in mind, then why is his solution to the problem that women should not teach and not just in inappropriate ways? The word for teach in verse twelve is the same as in uh, one Timothy four eleven um so you want to take that and I'll pull up verse I'll pull up yeah other instances so I'll read um,
1: yeah, so everything um back to the point, everything in context um. Think about, okay, and, I you know, without getting particularly political, but um, think about even political discussions and on any, so whether it's um, Republican or Democratic news stations and how they'll take little snippets of what um, someone says. And if you had actually watched, you know, the whole discussion, you would realize very fast that they have misconstrued their opponent to be saying something really stupid that they could easily knock over, yeah um it, it, you know I and mean, again it's just it's context, so if I start talking about um i don't know it it could be anything like if you were to take a very a small fragment of what I say, you could make me be saying anything, so um Paul says very particularly in his intro that he's addressing people that are doing false teaching,
0: yeah. Heterodoxine, like that's yeah. from the very beginning. That's
1: what he says his letter's about. That's what he concludes with. And that's the predominant focus throughout the letter. So it's really the onus is on the person saying that false teaching is not in view when he talks. When Yet again, even though it's the intro, the conclusion, and throughout the whole letter, um, he talks about teaching in an inappropriate way, you know, contextually. But somehow it's not. Somehow it's only all teaching... Of any kind and again it's attached to authentio um, which maybe we'll get cynthia westfall on to talk about a bit um but e- even without that like it- it's not just a matter of oh teaching's a positive word therefore every time you see it appear it's only positive well we've seen already there's such a thing as false teaching so right that's a misunderstanding right there
0: yeah and I don't know if I accept the idea because essentially, what you have, why? And the question is, then why is his solution to the problem that women should not teach, and not just in inappropriate ways? Yeah, and it doesn't say that. Yeah, it's actually he's uh, the question assumes that these are separate things. Yeah. When you very much have Paul saying from the beginning in one Timothy one three, as uh, and I'll read from the. Uh, yes. It's
1: assuming a conclusion we don't share from the text. Yeah, let's put it that way.
0: Um, and so he's telling people uh, that you may charge certain people. So um, certain persons uh, not to teach any false or, or we'll say false doctrine or different doctrine and d- uh, didoscane or hetero didaskain, which is the inf- uh, compound infinitive that's basically very similar to the infinitive used in 1 Timothy 2.12. Um, so for example um, didoscane is used for teaching in 1 Timothy 2.12 and hetero or didaskalane is used in 1 Timothy one three. So very similar words both in the infinitive form. And so what you have here are not, uh, Paul basically says in 1 Timothy 2.12, hey bud, you okay? Oh, he's being fussy. Uh, Paul says he's not permitting a woman to teach and, to, and or, we would say or, to authenticate a man. And so this is not two things being done. So the question doesn't really seem to uh, pick up on, this is not two separate things. Paul is prohibiting women teaching or doing something in a specific way. And these two infinitives, didaskein and authentane, need, need to be taken together. Um, and we see actually throughout uh, 1 Timothy, um, Paul uses teaching language indefinitely. So 1 Timothy 4.11, as the, as the person asks, command and, or rather, direct and teach these things. That's told to the church. That's told to Timothy, but also told to the church. And teaching is not a male thing or a female thing, but in this instance, in 1 Timothy, Apparently, women were involved in false teaching. And that also includes, we might say, what happens in 1 Timothy one twenty, where Hymenaeus and Alexander, who have been handed over to Satan, so they might learn, or rather be instructed, which is not the same teaching word, yep, men, not to blaspheme. And so um, Paul, in 1 Timothy 2.12, is very specific. It's very clear. Paul is prohibiting a woman from teaching in a specific way. Yeah, That's and, and really
1: he's prohibiting everyone from doing that. He's just being yeah. gender specific. Yeah. And something um, Ron Pierce, who was on a while ago, would say over and over again is um, so, just because something's gender specific doesn't make it gender exclusive. Yeah. And I'll say this. Um, we, I, I think all of us tend to gloss over any time a, a man is mentioned and make it assume it's universal anytime a woman or a female gender is specified we tend to take that as only for women
0: right and so for example it's the equivalent of me saying among them are hymenaeus and alexander and what going back to one timothy 120 who i'm handed over to satan to be taught not to blaspheme so if we take that hermeneutic the same way only men blaspheme only men in one timothy commit blasphemy women don't commit blasphemy and it's one of those things where if we look at it consistently we say okay, in this instance, Hymenaeus and Alexander committed blasphemy and they've been handed over to Satan, but that doesn't mean someone else can't commit blasphemy or do horrendous sinful things. I mean, the idea of total depravity seems to really skip out on us when we decide certain genders commit certain sins and certain genders are excluded from certain sins. It seems to be a very non-Protestant, non-Orthodox way of viewing total depravity and sin.
1: I would also add, um, just read how, like, I don't know, read through um, chapters 1 and 2 as a whole over again and look at how Paul describes himself in his own journey as he addresses false teacher leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, see what he says of himself um, in comparison to them and where he is now and what Jesus did for him. Mm-hmm. Look at um, how Jesus is described in opposition to how the church as a whole is acting and what Paul would like the church as a whole to do. Mm-hmm. And then of course yeah I'll read this section that you know, specifies men and women, but then look at the example also of, um, I'd say Eve and yeah. see if you can find any, um, similarities between how Eve is and her deception is described and how the women, you know, are described and how, um, Paul himself describes his own journey. And you might. Come to some different conclusions,
0: right? And let's not forget too. In the very verse, ver, in the first, blah, blah, blah. in the verse right before this verse, we have a, verse two or chapter two, verse twelve. A woman should learn quietly with all submissiveness. So rather than teaching, she is to learn. Well, the whole point is to correct false teaching, as we see, not to teach any false doctrine in the first chapter. And what Hymenaeus and Alexander were doing, we need to look at this as the solution. This is not a blanket prohibition about women for all time and all place. This is a way of saying women in Ephesus need to learn what God requires of them. And until they learn this, they shouldn't teach.
1: And uh, quietness and submission is what a student is expected. Yep. Um, not, it's not a gender-specific thing. Mm. And again, also, um, we have Paul telling um, essentially both genders in Ephesians 5 21, um, to submit to one another. Yep. It's it's a very, um, not only is it the behavior of a well-bred student in the ancient world, it's mm-hmm. also a character formation point for um, the early Christians and us.
0: Yep. And included in that, um, there is this assumption in Jewish thought, and this is well documented, that... Before you teach, you need to learn. And Sirach and other thinkers say such things.
1: And Paul says it in um, 1 Timothy. Yep. That's essentially what he complains about, too. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Uh, He says, and I'm going to say this. So if we skip to 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, Therefore, um, you you then, therefore, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 2, it says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses uh, entrusted to faithful people, Not men, so the ESV is flat wrong, it's people who are also qualified to teach others. And so teaching here is not given a gendered thing, Um, it's faithful or trustworthy people who are teachers, who are able to teach.
1: And in 1 Timothy, actually, he talks about um, the false teacher leaders. Oh no! Oh no, he's crying. One second. Oh. I had a point, you know. Can you get his milk?
0: Yeah, I'll go get his milk. I'll keep this running. Ha. Huh. People get to hear how egalitarians take care of a child.
1: Yep. Tag team. Partnership. Alright, so we were going to say that in first, um, Timothy, um, he says that they make confident assertions about what they don't know about, essentially. So, we shouldn't do that. Um, no one should.
0: Yeah. And it's just odd to me that we don't have two separate things being prohibited. We have an entire mode of how not to do something being prohibited. And think of it this way. Paul is not in the habit of prohibiting good things. Paul seems to really like to prohibit people from doing terrible things like blasphemy. And so
1: Then you also have to explain why he seems to find believe women are his co workers elsewhere and why he, you know, again lauds people like uh, Junia and Phoebe. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just starts to get a little odd that there's so many women that are actually teaching or leading with authority. Um, given this... I don't, it, it starts to become where this verse has a particular interpretive slant by certain people and is used to interpret all the other parts of Paul that seem to go against that one interpretation. Yeah, And that alone should give... Some pause. And I think most people wouldn't stake an entire theology off of their interpretation of one passage anyway. Well,
0: it's the equivalent of finding a verse that says, for example, um, only the Father knows when uh, the end is coming. Therefore, Jesus isn't God. And then any text that seems to allude to the fact that Jesus is the incarnate God, you know. Philippians 2 and Colossians 1 get filtered through that idea and just hermeneutically that is not a healthy or prosperous way to do theology and it assumes that one verse gets to dictate all things rather than letting each verse stand on their own uh, be interpreted in the best way possible and then beginning the process of construction but if you have 20 women mentioned in Paul as co-workers and as apostles prophets deacons and so forth um then the onus is on the person to basically explain why one verse gets to overturn literally everything else because in their practice, and we, I know this to be true, they themselves would not accept that. They would basically say, for example, if they saw someone doing that with any other theological issue, whether it be eschatology, um, pneumatology, or any such thing, most people instantly kind of recognize one, never read a Bible verse, yeah. never use one Bible verse to basically construct an entire theology. And I think, uh, in, in contradistinction to other texts,
1: yeah. And I would say, yeah. And you know, not to dwell on this question too long. I would say the question itself um, show indicates that um, it's assuming some of what it's asking. Um, and so, I again, I would say, revisit the text as a whole and see what the problem is that Paul says is the problem in the yeah. first place. Yeah. And don't read. Don't read um two twelve or any of it detached from the rest of what Paul's letter is about. Yeah. Um. Don't do it. Read. Read. The, catch the flow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do an entire outline. Read the read the very beginning word. You know, word by word, sentence by sentence. Write it down. What ask who what where and why. Why is Paul writing this?
1: And even pick up themes. You know. Yeah. So pick up themes. Okay, deception, ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, those are key themes. Who Who is deceived and ignorant? Okay, yeah. so we've got a good mix of men mm-hmm. and women. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, and just keep going from there.
0: Yeah. Um, and let's not forget too, Paul's solution to the problem is... Go ahead.
1: go ahead. Yeah, so the other thing to note too is it's present active indicative. I am not permitting mm-hmm. a woman to teach, you know, nor assume authority or control however you translate that it probably best means control um, but yeah it's um present active indicative it's not a universal prohibition actually it's something that's um he's presently not allowing
0: that makes sense of a prohibition if it were a universal timeless prohibition it would be a different tense form
1: yeah so it's just kind of i think sometimes the way our english is set up it makes it sound it can make it sound like it's this timeless prohibition um in terms of the language used, but it's not necessarily that way in the Greek.
0: Yeah, and we, we know what Paul's solution is in addition to this because he tells us in verse 11, the women need to learn. That's the solution. Paul states the solution first and then gives the reason why they shouldn't do this. This is why they should learn because they have fallen into the realm of, as, as Cindy Westfall and others have argued, control or domination or something like that, acting in an authoritarian way. And I think if men were doing that, well, I think men were doing that, and Paul kicked them out because he's he names the men by name, which means they're probably leaders, and he's kicked them out of the church for probably leading in a deceptive and grotesque way. And here, he says the women, or rather the recipients of false teaching, should learn. Paul well, doesn't kick them out.
1: And again, earlier in the, earlier in the book, um, that's exactly what he says the problem is. They want to teach without knowing what they're talking about. And he basically attributes the same qualities of these false teacher leaders to himself as well Mm -hmm. and by implication um if paul was once this way but the you know the grace of jesus Mm -hmm. uh, or christ jesus transformed him then there's hope yet for the false teacher leaders too so Mm -hmm. again i think paul puts himself within that category as well um, so that's something to consider is within this whole narrative context as well.
0: Exactly. Allison's talking about 1 Timothy 1, six, where certain persons, uh, by departing or swerving away from uh, the goal of this command, as verse 5 talks about, have wandered into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding it, either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And I think that's Paul's way basically saying, before you should do all this, before you want to be a teacher, you need to learn. And for that, it means casting two guys out and handing them over to Satan so they'll learn not to blaspheme. And it means telling the women in Ephesus to learn before they decide to basically...
1: Read, read the section on um, Paul's description of himself, too. That'll be helpful.
0: Paul's description of himself. Um, Paul says in verse 12, I give thanks to uh, Christ Jesus our Lord who... Because he judged me faithful, pointing me to his service, even though formerly I was a blasphemer. Oh, a blasphemer.
1: Perse- there we go. Yep,
0: persecutor and insolent opponent. But I obtained mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So ignorance is key here. And the grace, uh, rather, but the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost.
1: Yeah, and so, by the way, um, that trustworthy statement formula is also um, in three one uh, a and I think it goes with um, uh, verse or chapter 215, um, and that's a section attached to Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, um, the... The big point here is that, um, again, in biblically, deception and ignorance, it's not so much of I simply didn't know. Yeah. There is an agency aspect to it. Yeah. Um, It's essentially one um, decides to believe a lie. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit more involved there. And I think that's a good um, thing to consider about, you know, for our own formation as well. And not just on gender, but, you know, overall, what. What lies are we willing to believe, mm-hmm. you know, for our own ends? Yeah. But uh, he, he's basically, and that's part of Paul's theology, that he, was, he, he and other people are undeserving um, of the grace of Jesus. And that includes also apostolic authority. That also includes teaching. That includes all these mm-hmm. things. Um, and yet Jesus is the one that initiated um, grace and salvation, with him and transformed his life and so again by implication the false leader you know teachers they can also be transformed yep
0: and just to bring a conclusion to this that um that um uh false teaching or contrary teaching book ends 1 timothy it happens in 1 timothy 1 3 and in 1 timothy 6 3 where it talks about if anyone teaches a different or false doctrine And does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, that person is conceited and understands nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and so on and so forth. And so, Paul's whole point here is responding to and refuting uh, a way of doing things that is consumed with divisions, controversies, quarrels, and dissensions, and evil, and all that sort of stuff. And basically he says, he addresses both the men and the women and basically says, not in God's household. Yeah, there you go. And so I think that answers that question. Thank you for it. Um, We appreciate it. And to anyone else, we thank you for um, your support for this show and for your questions. We thank a big shout out and thank you to our patrons. Uh, If you like what we're doing here and you want to support us and be involved, you can find us over at Patreon split frame of reference on Patreon. Any little bit that you give is wonderful and helpful. As you can hear, he's screaming and well, he's not screaming anymore. He's gotten
1: quiet. It's because I'm snuggling him and kissing him. Okay. He likes that.
0: He does. Um, But if you like what we're doing, feel free to support us on Patreon or give us a five star, honest five star review on iTunes. Um, sharing us and sa- reaching out and saying hi. We're both on Twitter. I'm at Nick Quint and you're, I think, at Allison Quint. Yeah. Um, all one word. Yeah. Antoine. And feel free
1: to reach out to us. Um, even if you have a prayer request. Um, or mm-hmm. it can be anything really. I mean, um,
0: we've got the time. We're we yeah. are. This is a quarantine and answer. We are housebound for a while.
1: Yeah. So yeah, feel free to just you know connect with us and just ask us anything or just say hi. Um, yeah. we won't mind. Yeah.
0: And if we get like 10 more questions, maybe we'll do another uh, quarantine and answer. We'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah, hopefully we won't be quarantined forever. We are um it located in a hot spot. We're in California. Yeah. Um we're thankfully not in New York, um but yeah, so <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's 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 been a blessing I got to stay home and spend some time with with Allison and and my son and getting to see him develop and grow and learn and stuff it's been a, a wonderful time
1: yeah nicks work has paternity leave so that was yeah. pre-scheduled yep. um so it's that's kind of cool i think mm-hmm. um that they and that's that's a very egalitarian
0: thing to do too yep. i was i didn't ask for it i was offered it um so it's yeah it's been a blessing and my church is awesome and all that sort of stuff so thank you for all that you guys have done and for listening and making it this far and uh if you have any more questions or want to just chat or anything hit us up and when he's not pooping and eating and sleeping we'll probably have a little bit of time to respond so when he's sleeping mostly when he's sleeping